Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin this chapter. I surprised myself and prepared to be able to preach through the whole chapter. Once again, I thought it would flow well, and yet we won't do that for sake of time. We're going to look at the first 11 verses today, and we're going to stop right there. I want us to learn from God's Word today at the example of Jesus Christ as He's right in the center of this text. I'm going to ask if you will just bow your heads in prayer and ask God's blessing on the message, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we, we pray for your blessing as I preach your word. Pray that you help us to be faithful. And pray that Christ, you be lifted up and be glorified. Thank you for Lakeshore Baptist Church, and thank you for purchasing it with your own blood. I pray that you help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice with me in verse 4, or verse 1 of chapter 2, if there be any consolation in Christ any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Paul is writing again to these Philippian believers, and he gives a conditional sentence here. I believe it continues to build off of the previous admonition that he had given them. But now he goes on to speak to them and and say, if... Ye, and then he lists, he ends up listing things that every believer should have. He's telling them to examine, are you in the faith? Do you know Christ? Do you have these things in you? And if you do have these things in you, fulfill ye my joy. And then he begins to explain how the Philippian believers could fulfill Paul's joy as he goes on in this text. And we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But before that, I do want us to just review back where we have been. If you look at chapter 1, two weeks ago, we looked at the first two verses. And we saw an organized church that found joy as servants of Christ. They found joy in serving Christ. Paul and Timothy, the saints, the bishops, the deacons of the church, there is joy found in serving Jesus. And we, we just took time to highlight these servants of Christ and this organized church and the history of how they, uh, they started as a church and how God had called Paul out uh, to this Macedonian area and to Philippi specifically and then to these, these women that were worshiping Jehovah God. And they needed the gospel brought to them and Paul brought the gospel to them. Then after that, we looked at the rest of the chapter last week and we saw the joy that is found in the gospel itself. We saw Paul highlighting the fellowship in the gospel, where he was telling these believers that we need, they needed to find, and they did find a commonality and a participation and a partnering in the gospel together. Paul would have had no other reason to write to them, no other reason to visit them, no other reason to know them if it weren't for the gospel. And then he went on after he talked about their partnering in the gospel and then instructing them as they were partnering together with him, wanting to see them continue doing this. Then he went on to explain of the furthering of the gospel. 
and how God had brought some curveballs, some change-ups in his life and those that were traveling with him. And now he finds himself in Rome in a prison where he is writing from, and he's talking about how God is using all of this to further the gospel. We're all an important but small part of a bigger picture of God's redemption. We're a small part. And so when God is fulfilling his big picture of redeeming a people unto himself, sometimes things happen in our life and God changes things in our life in order to further his plan. And we'll all understand it by and by. When we're all together with him and Jesus has established his eternal throne on the new earth and we're with him for eternity, we will enjoy looking back and saying, wow, look at all that God was doing. And then we saw in verse 27, the faith of the gospel and how Paul was admonishing these believers to live of a manner of life that was worthy of the gospel that they had to stand fast in one spirit, to stand fast with one mind, to strive together for the faith of the gospel as a team that was together, and to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. That was the ending of chapter 1. Now we, we come into chapter 2, and here Paul is saying, if you have this love in Christ and if there is any comfort in that love and if there's any fellowship in the spirit, if, if you have a heart and a mercy that is inside of you that cares for Christ and cares for me and cares for one another and you want to stay faithful and you want to be together, he says, fulfill ye my joy. And right in the middle of this chapter, we see the high example that is exalted as how they could fulfill his joy. Many call the verses that we're going to begin with today, we're going to skip the next few verses and then we're going to come back to it. But many call this a hymn of Christ, where Christ is lifted up and there is Jesus, our supreme example of how to live Christ-like. Then we're going to come back to these next several verses and we'll see where Paul is saying, fulfill my joy by doing these things to help you follow the example that I just, I explained here about Christ. This portion of verses in verses 5 through 11, which we're going to begin with, has strong indications of a poetic structure. Some believe that it was possibly written prior to Paul's use here that he incorporated into here. I don't know if that's the case or not. But before we get into the joy of Christ's likeness, which is what I've entitled this message and what we'll look at again next week, as Paul is admonishing them to be like Christ and how he finds a joy when these believers continue on like Christ. Before we get into that, we want to look at the powerful hymn and see Jesus Christ, our example, our pattern for Christ likeness. There's a former Hollywood bad boy, Martin Sheen. You all heard of him before? He says watching his son, Charlie Sheen, lead a similarly decadent life fills him with remorse. He said in an interview that he worries that he learned to be a father too late. He particularly regrets his failure to share his faith. He would consider himself a Christian, a Catholic, a Christian. He said, I never lost my faith but I felt for a time that I had outgrown the church, he said. 
Now it is a bone of contention in my soul that I did not share my faith with my kids as my parents did with me. It was a source of grace when I needed it. I have been greatly nurtured and inspired by my faith. There's lots of people that have faiths that have helped them and lots of people that have regretted not passing it on. But how much more those that know the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we ought to desire to not have those kind of regrets where we don't live out as an example for others and we don't follow our example. Paul wanted the Philippian believers to be found faithful to Christ and to Christ's example. May we not fail to follow and be a Christ-like example. So we're going to begin looking at this example of Christ described, and we begin with Christ's example in verses 5 through 11. This will all begin in Christ's example. There's three things I want us to look at, but two of them we're going to look at next week. We're going to see Christ's example. We're going to see Christ's example, and then we're going to see Christ-like humility. And then later on in the chapter, we'll see Christ-like obedience, and then we'll see Christ-like interests. Two examples, two servants are lifted up that have interests in the things of Christ rather than their own interests. And we're going to look at that, but not this week. We won't have time for it. But today, we're going to see Christ's example and then our Christ-like humility that we should have. So beginning, let's see the humility of Christ described in verses 5 through 8. The humility of Christ. The humility of Christ. The humility of Christ begins in verse 5, where we see Christ's attitude. Christ's attitude. Verse 5, in the beginning of that verse, it says, let this mind be in you. Now, right before this, and we're going to come back to this, Paul is admonishing them to be humble. And so now Paul is saying, let this mind of humility, let this mind of Christ, let this attitude of Jesus be in you, he says, which was also in Christ Jesus. Some people consider it to be which you have in you, this mind that you have in you as a believer. I believe it's probably more let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But the whole idea is that Paul is saying this mind, this attitude that Jesus has, have this attitude that I'm about to describe here, have it in you. And so as we get into this description of Jesus Christ's example, I want to ask you and I today to, as we look at this example, to ask ourselves, do I have this attitude in me? Do I have this mindset in me? The first one is one that you can't have, okay? This is a description, a little bit of Jesus, who he is. But you can relate in a way in a, in a few moments as we transition from it. So Christ's preexistent divinity, that's something you can't copy, okay? Where Jesus Christ is described as equal with God because he is equal with God. Verse 6 says regarding Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The word form there is graphe, which is implying an essential character as well as an, an outline. It is an unchangeableness as contrasted with later on as you look and we'll see the words fashion later on or schema. And there are different people that say a lot of different things about these verses here. 
But I believe simply put that this verse in verse 6 is saying that Jesus is in the complete essence of who God is. He is one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit. Jesus being in the form of God, in the unchangeableness of God, in the divine essence of God, of who he is and always has been, thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is equal with God, because God the Son is equal with the Father and equal with the Holy Spirit. And so right now he's just taking a moment to exalt where Jesus is. Jesus, his preexistent divinity, he is equal with the Father, he is equal with God, and now he's going to bring a very strong point from that. The point of this text is not to try to teach the divinity of Jesus. The point of this text is to say this high exalted Jesus Christ who preexisted wasn't as some people write created by God, but no, has always existed as God. This preexistent divine God the Son, let's see what it goes on to say about him. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. There's no one more worthy of a reputation for us to talk about who he is. If God visited earth, we ought to all be talking of his great reputation, and yet he humbled himself, and he chose to have no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. We have Christ's attitude here. Here he is, and seeing his preexistent divinity, he's God, and yet he humbles himself, Christ's humility, and he makes himself of no reputation, and he takes on the form of not a king at first. He is king, and he will rule, but he takes on the form of a servant. He serves people. He teaches people. He answers questions of people. Religious rulers, as he's with them, he heals people. He washes the feet of his disciples, and he comes ultimately to serve us by becoming our propitiation, the satisfying payment for our sins. Ultimately, he comes to serve us at the cross, which we'll see in a moment. But then it goes on and it says not only that he made himself of no reputation, his humility, and he took on the form of servant, but we also see Christ's humanity, the God-man made in the likeness of men. Verse 7, he was made in the likeness of men. God made in the likeness of men. God humbling himself as a servant. God, who never had a beginning, chose to have a birth into this earth. And then we see being found as a fashion as a man. Why? Because we see Christ's obedience in the rest of verse 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here we see Christ's example being exalted and lifted up by Paul as he is writing God's word to the Philippian believers and for us today. And he is exalting Jesus Christ as the chief great example of humility, of saying God who is preexistent and divine and and is worthy of all praise, which is going to come to that in just a moment, and Jesus will receive that praise, but he came and humbled himself and became a servant to all and became a sacrifice for all, became obedient to death, and not just death, but the death of the cross. 
A death that was a humiliating death. A death that was designed for prolonged torture. A death that was was used by the Roman people to say that this person is despicable. This person should not be respected. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the death of the cross and was willing for people to, to scoff and scorn and mock. He is unwanted, undesired, unloved. Kill him. Murder him. Get rid of him. We don't want him. God did that for us. He humbled himself. And then he goes on in verse 9 and begins to talk about what God is doing with God the Son, what the Father is doing with the Son. Verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Here we see the exaltation of Christ. The exaltation of Christ. God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Notice he's highly exalted. He's given a name which is above every name. Some believe that's simply referring to the name Jehovah or Yahweh. I don't know. I don't fully understand what all that means. It's just simply that his name, whether it be speaking about Jesus or whether it be Lord or whether it be Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever, all I know is that his name is lifted up above every name. And then it goes on to say in verse 10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. First of all, we see at the name they'll bow. And then we see that they'll bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Everyone. There will come a day when all will bow before Christ. He humbled himself and God the Father exalts God the Son to be worshipped, to be followed, to be obeyed. For people to confess his name. And here we see in verse 11 that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we see that not only will everyone bow, but every tongue will confess he is Lord. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Anytime Christ is glorified, the Father is glorified. And the Holy Spirit is helping the Son and the Father be glorified. God is one. He is three persons, one God. Each person is fully equal, fully God. God is not in conflict with himself. The Father sent the Son. The Son humbled himself to the cross and is exalted and his name is above all names. The greatest work of humility. And I think about, for just a moment, the return of Christ as it talks about him being exalted. I think, wow, it may not be long. It may not be long. I mean, just look around today, and everybody's been saying that since Jesus, it was told that he would come back. But, you know, we, China just quarantined 25 million people due to spreading mutating viruses. Have you all read about that at all? 25 million. 6.7 earthquake affected Turkey, Syria, Georgia, and Armenia just recently. Since September, at least 27 million acres of Australia have been burned in one of the country's worst fire seasons on record. 27 million. I was just talking with someone who's from Australia, and he was telling me about it. I'm like, we're over here on this side of the earth, and we're not even thinking about it? And I wasn't thinking about it, and he's a missionary over there. He's telling me about this. I'm It's an area larger than Portugal and more than 14 times the area that burned in California in 2018. 
the state's most destructive year for wildfires. The fires have now killed at least 29 people and destroyed some 2,500 homes. I don't know what all that means. I just know that as we look forward to Christ's return, things like that will continue to happen. It could be another thousand years from now. It could be five days from now. We don't really know when the end time events begin to happen, but I do know that the things that God said would happen are happening and that we should be looking forward to the exaltation of Christ. But the primary point of this text is not so much the exaltation of Christ, but it's the humiliation of Christ, the humbling of Christ, and then it's the exhortation for us to follow that example. And I'm going to give it in summary, and then I'm going to get into it in in depth next week. And so we see Christ-like humility. I want to read this with you, and then I'm going to just wrap it up, and I'm going to give us a couple questions to ask ourselves, and I'm going to pick back up there next week. Look with me, if you will. I'm going to begin at verse 1 and just read all the way through what we just read. If there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul's saying, fulfill my joy, church. Philippian believers, be like-minded. Remember the importance of the gospel. In a moment, I'm going to tell you about Christ humiliating himself and humbling himself. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem other better than themselves. He says to them, be unified. And then he goes on to tell them that you have to have a lowliness of mind to be unified. You can't have a unity without a humility. Humility is when I see, as I said before, myself and others from God's perspective that we are an important but small part of a bigger picture of redemption. If I have a humble perspective of who I am, I am willing to humble myself for the sake of what God is doing. I don't look so much about my interests as he goes on to discuss, but rather I look at the big picture. And he's talking to these Philippian believers and he's saying, be like-minded, have the same love, be of one core, be of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Pride brings contention. When I start thinking too much of myself, I begin to have strife. I begin to glorify myself. But he says, in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem other better than themselves actually to to respect and consider other people and their importance as important and even more important than mine. That can only happen through Christ-like obedience. To look at someone else and say, they are as important and even more important in, in some ways than me. I care about their interests. And then notice he says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't just look at what you want, you need. But just looking at that, Paul is admonishing them to be humble. And then in verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to explain Christ and how he humbled himself. God became man, a servant, obedient to the cross, obedient to death. Why? One accord with the Father. One accord with the Holy Spirit. One accord with the plan of the gospel. 
of redemption. A lot more can be accomplished when God's people will find joy in Christ-like humility. I'm no more important than you, and you're no more important than me. Christ is the only one deserving to be exalted, and when he is exalted, it helps us see each other as equal in the sight of God. May we be a humble people and find joy in Christ-like humility. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.